You're listening to the Bulldog Hour, getting you inside the Wilson football program with weekly game previews, recaps, highlights, and interviews. Now, here are your hosts, Joe Mays and Justin Rapoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of the Bulldog Hour. I'll be one of your hosts, just like last year, Joe Mays, sitting next to me, my co-host, Justin Raffoff. Yeah, it's uh, good to be back for another season and uh, plenty to discuss to kick things off tonight and uh, hopefully throughout the season. Yeah, we've been playing this show now for a couple months here. You know, it's um, mid-July, and actually the football team coaches have headed to Lebanon Valley College for their annual football camp. They get away for a few days and do a bunch of activities, including seven-on-sevens. Um, you know, there are clinic aspects to it. It's just a way to get the kids to, um, you know, get together and know, get to know each other and uh, get the football season. It's kind of like the unofficial start to what a lot of people consider the high school football time when these kids go off to their, um, you know, half-week camp. Uh, which they go to at Lebanon Valley College now. So they are there as we record this, and they'll be there for the next few days. We're actually going to do another show before the season kicks off against Mifflin, which is Friday, September 2nd at home at Gursky. We'll have an actual season preview show. Where we'll break down the 10 guaranteed games that Wilson will have this season. We won't be talking opponents tonight. Uh, you will hear some interviews talk about the opponents, but Justin and I will save that for Episode 2 which will come the end of August. Tonight we're going to just kind of go over a couple um, PIAA house cleaning things first, which is mostly focused on the reclassification of Pennsylvania high school football, the expansion from four classes to six, and how that will affect Wilson and all that. And then we have a whole bunch of interviews for you. We're going to do the coaches on episode one here of season two, and we got to interview already Head coach Doug Doms, offensive coordinator Jeremy Palm, running backs coach Jake Peterson, and defensive coordinator Ernie Wolber. So we will have all four of those interviews in this first episode of season two of the Bulldog Hour. But we're looking forward to the year. We have a lot of uh, new and interesting stuff coming coming for you, especially on Friday nights in the fall. Besides having these shows, hopefully maybe every other week or at least every third week, we're going to try to do a bunch of... Uh, live video as we did a little bit at the end of last year. So definitely stay tuned for that. Make sure you're following us in all the areas that you can do that. Primarily Facebook and Twitter. We're also on Instagram and you can get all that information and more at www.bulldoghour.com. So I had mentioned that the big news that came out, I think actually at the end of 2015 before maybe last year was even over was that Pennsylvania high school football was going to expand from four classifications to six classifications, despite what District 7 or Western Pennsylvania wanted, um, which was to stay the status quo, and including our head coach, Doug Doms. He didn't want to see the classifications change, but they did in kind of a resounding and overwhelming fashion. I think it was something, the vote was like 27 to 6 or 26 to 7, so they got the majority or the uh, amount that they needed. Yeah, I think it was like the District 7 schools pretty much voted against it. Yeah, and then it. one and, other one, I right, think. District yeah. 3 voted for it, even despite um, 
Coach Dom's being against it and Wilson being against right. it. Um, District 3 overall was in favor of it and voted to expand. And that's where we're starting with this year already. There was also the talk of maybe delaying it a year or two, but they're jumping right in. Uh, it actually affected a lot of other sports too, which was more of a surprise than the football aspect. Yeah, a lot of people knew it was football was kind of driving the issue a little bit. Um, but I think... Um, people weren't really surprised by basketball, but I think the fact that it wasn't just football and basketball that ended up with the reclassification uh, caught some people off guard. So we're going to talk here a little bit and just give you an idea of what is happening across the state of football, focusing obviously on the biggest uh, area, which is the 6A classification, because that is where Wilson is going to play. And if you're watching this show on YouTube – you can see that I brought up the actual enrollment figures from the PIAA. And you'll see right at the top there is our neighbor school, Reading. They are the largest school in Pennsylvania. And this is male enrollment from grades 9 to 11 for, I believe, a year or two ago, possibly. I'm not sure if it's one or two year lead time. But this is the total number of males at the school in grades 9 through 11. And that's how they calculate um what classification schools are going to be at, and they try to make them as even as possible. The biggest change for Wilson is, well, they're still in the biggest classification. When there was only four, we were in four. Now there are six, we are in six. But the biggest change is, instead of there being at or around 30 teams in our classification, now there are only 16. Right, in District 3. And yeah, this is all District 3 related. And why is that important? Well, it just means that you're obviously not going to take every team into the playoffs. Why is that a good thing scheduling-wise? Well, now you're losing a game. Now, maybe the kids and maybe coaches would say that's not a good thing because if you the way it was before 2016, over the last 10 years or so, there were 16 games that you could potentially play in. 10 regular season, 6 playoffs, and that's if you made it to the state title game. Now, at least in District 3, there's only 15. You have your 10 regular season games, your 5 playoff games. Three of those playoff games are in District 3, whereas before you had 4 playoff games, allowing 16 teams to make it. Of course, now, with there only being 16 teams in, uh, in District 3, they're going to take eight. So we will see eight teams from District 3 qualify for the playoffs each season. Now, it's not as bad as it was when we were students, when District 3 only got four teams in. And, and it was pretty still much like the 30-some quad eight right. schools, and it only took the top four. Anything more than one loss, you were done. You were virtually guaranteed to not make the playoffs. Yeah, you, there were one-loss teams that didn't make the playoffs. And – Undefeated teams that were the away team or the low seed, you know, because of the power. Yeah, it was rate. pretty brutal when I played. Now, I was lucky enough, Wilson, you know, my Wilson teams made it two out of three years. We were 9-1 and one, um, at my sophomore year, and we went undefeated 10-0 my senior year. Uh, but, you know, there are plenty of teams that, you know, 8-2 and two or even 9-1, and one, and they were left sitting out. Then they expanded to 8, then they went to 16, now we're back down to 8. So, you know, every every few years, every five years, decade or so, there's, there's these kind of changes. This one is upon us now, and we're going from 4A to 6A. And you'll hear um, a few of the coaches talk about it in the interviews. What does the change in, you know, PIAA structure mean for Wilson? Um, 
really it's it's not a whole lot because you'll hear Coach Dom say he'll comment a lot on uh, on the four A versus six A and, and what it means schedule wise and whatnot. But let's point out a few things here. You know, we mentioned that there are sixteen teams in District Three. So we get familiar foe, Redding is still hanging around in District 3, McCaskey, Cumberland Valley, Hempfield, Chambersburg, there we are, Wilson, 795 enrollment at the last time they did the figures, then followed closely by Dallastown, York Tech, Central York, Mannheim Township, Central Dolphin, Penn Manor, Red Lion, Warwick, Carlisle, and last one, and very familiar to us at this moment, is Central Dolphin East, who was made the cutoff by one person. Uh, there's yeah. a couple people across the state. Right, across, right, across the, state the state when they divided this up, not in the district, but across the state, they made six A by one one male person. Student. Yeah, um, Conestoga Valley is the first five A school. And they have 563 enrollment. Central Dolphin East has 564. So those are the 16 District 3 schools competing in 6A for the next two years. So Wilson will have to get through the lot of them should they want to make the Western Final. The The format of the playoffs hasn't changed in any other capacity other than their one last District 3 game. That's it. The winner of District 3 still plays the winner of the, all the Western stuff, which generally tends right. to be the District 7 champion. Yeah, it's not it's not as though the there's the same number of games in the district championship game moved up and you added a state level right. game. It's you basically cut off that first district, district game. Yeah, so the, the round of 16 district right. game is gone. And in reality, you know, obviously we don't know this, but if you look at the eight teams that make the playoffs uh this year in 6A for um district 3, I imagine that it will look very similar to what the eight teams last year would have looked like yeah. at the end of the quad. You know, like it, there's obviously going to be some different, some different teams. And you know, some of those better five, a schools, you know, might've been the small quad A's, things like that. Um, but, you know, I think uh, the, especially, you know, after that first round of playoffs, when you get to the four, I think when you get to the final four in six, a it's in district three, it's going to look a lot like the final four, typically did in right. quad a district yeah, very rarely and you can go back and look at this in the district three side very rarely did any team seated above eight ever advance to the final four. Oh yeah um now last year last year you had an eight in the final four in central Dolphin east yeah uh, we saw that firsthand so you know i think you you don't often see nine ten eleven seeds actually central Dolphin east i don't really think they were an eight they might have been a nine or a ten yeah, I'm not sure. Have, but they they were a low they were the a lower or higher numbered seed. Um but it just it didn't happen enough and teams didn't want to have to play a zero week. Like Wilson's not playing zero week, which is the game before the first actual week of the season. They most of the district three teams would rather play two scrimmages in ten games versus playing one scrimmage, 10 games, and adding that extra playoff. And I'm not even sure District 3 considered that because there's only 16 teams in the district. Right. You're not going to take a team that's 0-10 or 1-9. No, I, think, I think in District 3, if you took the zero-week game, I think you basically have a bye now. You had, you'd have right. a bye. You have a bye week. The District 3 playoffs was always going to be eight teams. Right. So now let's talk a couple of, about a few teams that are on Wilson's schedule that – 
are no longer part of 6A. Right. And you can start right in week one with, you know. The big one. A lot of the talk, especially in Berks County, is about this game every year is Wilson Governor Mifflin. And if you notice, when we ran through the list of uh, teams that are 6A, uh, Governor Mifflin is not on that list. Uh, Governor Mifflin is a 5A school. Um, you know, it's not a big deal in terms of regular season. You know, it doesn't change anything this year. You know, I, you know, we asked some of the coaches. I don't, I don't necessarily think any of them necessarily see a, a change in that. You know, on the horizon, but it, there was a non-issue when we were the same classification, right? Um, when you introduce those discrepancies in classification, right. that's when things and, start to get a little iffy with the rivalry. And we talked about this a little bit with the coaches, and we'll get into it later in the show and th- through some of the interviews. That may not come into play. You might think, oh, will Wilson keep a 5A school on their on their schedule? That's not the biggest issue as much as that strength and field at the at the 5A right. level it, in it, District 3 is rather tough. It comes in more on the Governor Mifflin side of things because 5A, just like 6A, is sending eight teams to the playoffs. But 6A has 16 teams. 3A has 20 – or excuse me. 5A has 29 teams. Right. So that, so, I mean, there's a right. huge amount of competition so, to get into those eight spots. <laughs> Governor Mifflin has a pretty brutal non-league schedule. They lose two of those three games. They already are looking at one of those last spots, right. and that's if they go undefeated through Burks. Right. And, you know, that, that's, that changes on a yearly basis. You never know if they win, you know, those tough games. Right. Then – that sets them up. They're looking pretty, you know, going into the league schedule. So there, there's benefits for them, um, but it's not just a Governor Mifflin issue. A lot of those 5A schools are going to have to take a look at that uh, in their uh, non-league schedule because um, there's going to be some fierce competition. Like you said, 29 teams uh, vying for eight spots. So, um, yeah, there's definitely going to be some high-level competition there. So, uh, you know, this year – you know, I'm, I'm sure they're looking at it as, look, we have a chance to get, you know, some some big time points because we play some six A schools, um, and that that can be a big Definitely. advantage for them. Um, even though there was an adjustment to the power ratings, you know, in the size of schools and things like that. Um, now, but that that's still, you know, something to keep an eye on. But Mifflin's not the only team that is not a six A school. Right, on the, we on play the schedule. ten regular season games. Week one, Mifflin five A. Then next two weeks. Springford at home at Central Dolphin. Those are both six A teams. That's you know that's even footing right there. Now you get into the league schedule, and a couple weeks into it, we play, and I think it's back to back weeks. We play Conestoga Valley and Lebanon. Those are the two five A teams that are in Lancaster Lebanon League Section One. Lebanon is replacing Cedarcrest. They're flip flopping Section One, Section Two, um, in terms of talent and competition. Probably an even trade off. We haven't played Lebanon and in probably think, 15, 20 years. I think Cedarcrest is a 5A school, too. They are. So it they wouldn't are, have yes. mattered. Correct. You know, it's not like, you know, they're dropping down and, you know, we're losing. A, it wouldn't have mattered in, in those regards. And Lebanon has actually been fairly decent, you know. Um, well, both teams are getting on. better, which is right. good for the league. Right. Um, Lebanon is improving and Cedarcrest Cedar was improving. It's a young town. Conestoga right, sure, Valley definitely. improving as well. So um, those 5A teams. They're getting better, but they're part of that 29, you know, grouping there in 5A that is just going to be brutal to make to the top eight. So um, in that respect, 
Wilson and District 3 teams luck out, only having 16, you have less competition to get one of those eight spots. 5A across the state is pretty, pretty brutal. Because we actually see out west some of the best west teams are in 5A as well. You also, you see fewer of the, um, you you see a lot of like the the big uh, private schools are in that 5A category, not in the, 6A category. Now, I'm not saying there aren't any because I'm sure there are some, um, but a lot of there's a lot of you start to get into more of the private schools in the 5A and in quad A, you know. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. But yeah, that if you run through the state at that 5A level, whew. it's it's stacked. That, yeah, that is that is a very talented group that they have there. So uh, in 5A. from those regards, you know, I know we mentioned you know a lot of people that we've talked to um, weren't necessarily for the uh, the expansion but um you know honestly come december there should there should be some good games you know oh definitely like, absolutely actually november and december when you get into those district playoffs and that 5a level there should be that should be entertaining there's going to be a, two extra rounds or two extra levels more football you know so uh, we'll see but um you know it'll be interesting to see how that plays out this year and as you know teams start to put together their schedules moving forward for how um, that's going to affect all the teams. Before we move on and let the coach interviews take over the show, I just wanted to give kind of an overview of what's going to be happening here in August with the uh, high school schedule. Some people wondering what happens now because, you know, over the last 15 years, the summer practices and two days have changed drastically uh, with more stringent guidelines and starting dates with the school. Now, I think we're more back to a regular or normal schedule. Last year was a little bit different because of when Wilson was starting. Wilson is starting the last week of August, and all is right with the world in terms of um, preseason sports practices and what what used to be called two or three a days. Yeah, I believe Labor Day was September 7th last year. Yeah, I think year. it was the latest it, was the latest it possibly, possibly be. could be. And that screwed up Wilson's – not screwed up, but it just – it was a tough situation because um, – you know, do we not start school till September, which is not what we do? You know, like it, it was tough. And I know a lot of schools went through that, but we, you know, have the connection there at Wilson. And it definitely threw off that that schedule, that routine for how things normally fall in terms of practices at the end of the summer. So the first day of full pad practice, what the thing that closest resembled two a days is Monday, August 15th. However, over the last few years, PIAA has implemented what they call heat acclimatization practices, which is meant to get the players adjusted to the climate that we're dealing with here in Pennsylvania in August, which is generally hot and humid. Now, a lot of schools argue we've been doing voluntary sessions all summer long, Wilson being one of them, you know, three days a week, three hours a day. We're, we're acclimated as much as we need to be, but it is a PIAA rule that for five days prior to the start of full camp, you know, what was two-a-days, you have to practice uh, with limited equipment. Now, you have to have your players compete or practice a minimum of three consecutive days of those five for them to be eligible to start full practice the next week, which is August 15th. So Wilson will start heat acclimatization week on August 8th. They will go um, five hours Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 
three hours Tuesday, Thursday, as stipulated by the PIAA guidelines. And then on Monday, August 15th, they'll get kick-started with the first week of uh, two-a-day practices culminating on Saturday with their first scrimmage at Parkland. They'll come back the next week, the week of August 22nd. They will have uh, two-a-day practices that week. The the teachers will also have in-service that week. And that week will end on Friday with their last scrimmage, their second scrimmage. And this year was actually going to be a tri-scrimmage at Daniel Boone with Daniel Boone and also Burke's Catholic. Yeah. Um, I know just a couple of things to point out about the heat acclimatization. Um, if if a player misses that, they cannot start practicing. Until they do three until consecutive they've days. Until they completed the heat so the rest of the team can be practicing, and they are going through their, um, you know, their heat introductions, basically. Um, another thing is that um, I kind of forget where I was going with that, but um, you know, it, oh, some teams don't elect to start early. Some teams will say August fifteenth is the start, and some and will then, do a we heat will start acclimatization, the, which that means I don't believe that they get their required number of practices in to have a scrimmage on that first week. Now, I think some teams have, you have to have a certain number of practices right. in before you're allowed the scrimmage, which means that scrimmage would have to fall the next week. Um, and some teams are okay with that, that one scrimmage Wilson likes to have two. So having that heat acclimatization early um, allows them to have that, uh, first scrimmage and the second scrimmage. Essentially, they've expanded practice from two weeks to three weeks because, yeah, and you have like this, more condition. Right, the, sco- the, the schools that are taking advantage of the way the PAA wrote it have three weeks of practice. Now they're not the first week. The acclimatization there's, week is not two a days. Right. It's not really like they can work out contact, right any of that stuff. They can go out there from a total of five hours, three of the five days. They can only go out three days, the other two days. Uh, and there's stipulated how many, at least two hours of rest in between right. practices. I think you can only and, have, you're allowed to have helmets and shoulders pads, right. nothing else. Right. You know. No, no, no leg pads. It's right. not full contact. It's just the, the helmet and shoulder pad aspect isn't really there for protection. It's no, for it's, them to get used to them right, wearing the, the re- equipment. Reality of what it's going to be like right. when you're practicing uh, those long days. So um, that's the basic schedule for Wilson when it comes to, you know, when you get down to it. I mean, really, you know, we're recording this in mid end of July. There's really only really, basically two and a half weeks until yeah. you know until things i guess yeah. three, weeks, three weeks three weeks essentially until uh until here climatization starts monday, i think yeah three weeks from monday so i mean it's coming here fast three, the same amount of time from now to the start is the same amount of time from the, the start then until that. the start of the season yeah so we're six weeks away essentially now you're excited now i'm really <laughs> excited now i'm ready to go because uh you know that that mifflin game um Friday, September second. It's always great to kick off the season with that rivalry, and hope it sticks. And hope it sticks uh, through this uh, reclassification change. But enough of us talking. Let's yeah. let some of the coaches talk. And we passed on a couple of questions that we got from you, know, you, the listeners, and we just you know passed those along to Coach Doms, Coach Walber, Coach Peterson, um, Coach Palm. They answered a few of your questions. They answered a few of our questions. We talk a little bit about 2015. We, we look ahead to this year in 2016. Uh, we talk a little big 33 with Coach Doms. So we got all that stuff in the coaches' interviews. And we're going to kick it off with the man himself, Mr. Doug Doms. All 
All right, well, thanks for joining us again, Coach, now for the second year of the show. And uh, we're excited to uh, get our first episode out. And um, the person that everyone wants to hear from is you, the head coach. And uh, we, we talked to a lot of our, our listeners, and they had uh, a couple questions that they wanted us to send your way as the 2016 season approaches. Um, and the majority of them just wanted to know, they don't want to dwell on last year, but they're just interested to know how do you talk to your team at the end of the season, regardless if it ended the way you wanted to or not. How do you talk to primarily the seniors as their uh, their career as a bulldog comes to an end? You know, what, the first thing we do is we thank them because they've committed themselves. They've given three and sometimes in some cases four years of commitment to the program. They've gone out of their way to make us successful, not only on the football field, but our, our whole image, you know, with a community service and giving back and, and, and being the, the, the flagship or the front porch of the school. So, you know, you basically just thank them for it. Uh, you encourage them, you, you know, in what they're going to do in their future, remind them to make sure they stay in touch. And, uh, and then, and then deal with the disappointment of the loss and, you know, trying to put that into a perspective that they can understand life is, you can work your butt off and you still don't always get what you worked for. You know, it's a life lesson. Looking now at the players that are returning, do you use um, the end of the previous season ever as motivation for the underclassmen that are now stepping up into the leadership roles and they're now in the shoes of their fellow teammates from a year year ago, knowing that this is the last time they're going to be wearing the Bulldog helmet. Is the way things ended the previous year used as motivation or is that just kind of, you know, it was once and done, you saw it happen, let's move on, and you decide how this season's going to go? Obviously, a loss is a great learning experience. And that is something, It's it wasn't, this year's team's team, you know, it's a new year, but, you know, we obviously stress that you, there are lessons to be learned, uh, lessons of overconfidence, lessons of not taking anything for granted, uh, lessons of, you know, making sure you play to the best of your ability on every play. Uh, it's a new season, though, and that'll come up anytime we're going against a team that, you know, we feel they might be a little overconfident with. You were selected as a coach for Big 33, which just happened a few weeks ago. Um, can you tell us about that experience a little bit, how it was coaching some of the best players uh, in the state of Pennsylvania? And uh, is it something that you were able to do before? This is my first time doing it, and <clears throat> excuse me, it was a lot of fun. Uh, the coaching staff was great, got to know some of the other top coaches in PA very well. You know, you spend nine days together in a situation like that. And then um, working with the players was, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a skill level that, you know, I mean, you're, you're looking at the 33 best football players in the state of Pennsylvania and athletically they're unmatched. There are sometimes attitudinal issues you have to deal with because you get a few of those that have a little bit or a little full of themselves coming from certain programs. But as, as coaches, we kind of looked at each other and said, well, it's an all-star game. You know, there's only so much you can do. But for the most part, the majority of them were really nice kids, appreciative of being there, really fun to work with. But you can pretty much do what you want when you have that kind of skill. Uh, now, um, Wilson had, well, technically, I guess, three players selected. Now, John Fox wasn't able to suit up. Um, Bucknell wanted him to sit out. But uh, Mike Schonauer played and Jake Gaiman played. Um, 
But outside of, of the players that, that you knew, was there someone on the defensive side of the ball that really stood out as a, a great player from the state of Pennsylvania? Um, the uh, Kalik Hudson, who's going to Miami, was played outside linebacker for us. He's going to play safety, uh, outside linebacker, nickelback, running back, punt returns, like you know, for Michigan. I mean, he was exceptional. Uh, and everything he everything was yes sir no sir very polite but what an athlete I mean probably the best I've ever coached uh, yeah he was he was he was incredible uh, and you know going right across the board each of them you know some of them had the personality that just were I would say maybe not as athletic as some of the others but had that. I'm going to do. I'm going to get the job done, and I'm going to play at a level that's going to make me as good as they are. And then there were others that were just so incredibly athletic that you'll see at the next level when they are pushed how good they're going to be. So now the state of Pennsylvania is going over a pretty significant change in the way that high school football works with the reclassifications. We touched on it a bit uh, when we talked to you last year, last summer. It was still up in the air whether it was going to happen or not. Um, it ended up did happening. We're now a six classification state. Wilson being in the highest classification, what kind of challenges does that present to high school football in general and specifically Wilson? Uh, really doesn't change a whole lot for us. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of the six classification scheme. Uh, the biggest wrinkle it threw to us was they now allow teams to play week zero, which is the week before we normally would start. So what happened was we lost our second scrimmage because we always played a District 1 team, Springford, and all of the District 1 teams are now playing week zero. In fact, District 3 is one of the only districts where they're not playing week zero. So trying to get a week two scrimmage was tough. You know, we ended up picking up you know, a try with Burks Catholic and Daniel Boone. Uh, and then the other thing I'm not a big fan of is, you know, we're going to be playing spring forward week two, but it's their week three and early in the season like that. You know, that's that's a bit of a disadvantage. It would have been nicer if PIAA would have said everybody plays week zero or nobody plays week zero because it really – and it was late. It was February until he came out with it. So it'll settle in eventually. But, you know, other than that, you know, it hasn't changed anything um, 6A is still all the big schools, and the difference is 1,500 boys from the smallest to the biggest. Now, 5, 4, 3, 2, and 1, there's only 90 boys difference between, you know, the smallest school in the division and the biggest. So it helped them, but didn't help us. It's okay. We would have opted to play up even if we were 5. So, so with the new classification system, um, you mentioned it kind of threw a wrench in scheduling for this year because of the short turnaround. Do you see it having an impact on um, possible non-league matchups like in years to come? Um, you know, especially some, some of the traditional teams that, that we've played aren't in that 6A category. Uh, do you think that pre presents a problem or do you think it's still, you know, if, if we're playing fives and sixes, that's going to be okay? I'm sure most people who follow football saw the, they're in the process of revamping the uh, classification in terms of power ratings. So they're going to take a little bit less impact off of the 
size of the school and a little bit more on one loss record because I don't in in district three there is no solid six a league I mean we're gonna have just in our league play we're gonna have I believe two five a's and it's the same way everywhere even the mid pen is gonna have a couple five a's so I don't know that's gonna affect us that much that way um, it certainly affects our non-league schedule because it's very hard like I said we're playing spring forward and that was going to happen before they changed everything um, now I hate to say it but you know it's a it's a big disadvantage so I, we're gonna probably look for a somebody that's playing their second game at the same time we're playing our second game for the following year now before the information came out this week about the change of the power ratings there we had talked um, previously over the last few months with the changes to 6a and the scheduling issues that we thought there could be a chance that possibly Mifflin might not be interested in continuing the the rivalry just because um, of all the classifications 5a is real tough because I believe there's 29 schools and only eight make the playoffs and you suffer too many losses non-league you kind of have to make run the table in terms of, of Mifflin in the Burks uh, is that something that you foresee? Is there a possibility there? Would it be reciprocated um, by Wilson? It's, it's obviously going to be up to them to make that decision. Um, you know, they have to look at the fact that if they're a if they have a good team and they can beat us, you know, they're that beating a, that works tremendously in their favor because you know we're going to have a lot of power points and they're going to get a lot of points from that. Um, it is going to be interesting because, like you said, you know. A lot of the schools that were pushing for the 6A classification are the schools that are all now 5A, and they kind of got the shaft in the process because only eight of them, as you said, make it out of 27 or 29. Yeah, it's you know, uh, so it's going to be tough. So, but you know, if if you figure Mifflin has to figure, they're pretty much going to run the table in the IC most of the time. So if they don't play tough non-leagues, you know, how are they going to? get to where they want to be so um, I, I think you know they'll continue but you, you know you don't know because uh, you know sometime in the near future there's going to be a coaching change there I'm sure Mick Vecchio's older than me <laughs> that's old uh, <laughs> and uh, has had some severe health problems this past year so you know I, a lot would depend probably on the, who the new coach is do they still have that same Mifflin Wilson rivalry feeling you know Time will tell. Hopefully we can keep it going. Every year, Wilson seems to lose marquee players, and this year is no different, especially some. As you, you kind of mentioned earlier, there were a few that were here for a full four years. Um, every year, though, the newspapers now have Wilson reloads. Are there a couple players that may not have been big names in the paper that you think will step up this year? Is there anyone that you can throw out there as has been um, – you know, a shining star in the offseason or someone that you think could be a big impact guy uh, this fall? We're going to need all of the, you know, if, if, if you would look at our special teams players year by year, it's the guys that are playing on special teams that are typically the guys that are going to have to step up and take the full-time roles. You know, guys like Mason McElroy, who's going to be crucial, you know, return kickoffs or punts for us last year, going to be crucial on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively. Uh, a guy like Tommy O'Brien, who was our second safety behind John last year, is going to be really important. And obviously, you know, then after that, it's 
guys that, you know, you have a Leo Quigley who was playing a small role because of Ike, who's now going to have to play a big role. And, you know, all those guys that were sometimes overshadowed now got to step to the front. And every year we have a couple of guys that we don't expect a lot out of that emerge and have great senior seasons. And that's going to be key for us. There are some um, new players to the program. Um, as we know that the, uh, the Weller family has returned. We had a few years ago, the oldest brother uh, was a quarterback in the system, but now the other sons are, are moving here. Um, I know Justin is uh, going to be a senior. Uh, we also had um, Iggy Reynoso move into the district. Um, are the, the, new, new, the new blood, is it, are they expected to be key components to the team this year? Is it just dependent on how quickly they pick up the system? It's going to, I mean, athletically, they look good. Uh, it is going to be a question of, you know, in, in the case of the Wellers, I mean, that family is from here originally, moved to Chicago, now they're back. So they're like transplanted transplants. Uh, but, you know, the, the mom got her a job here and the dad's working out here. So um, Justin looks like he's going to be a good football player. He really is, seems to be smart football wise and is picking things up pretty well. So I think uh, he's going to help us. You know, like I said, uh, offensively for sure, defensively, a lot's going to depend on how soon he picks up the scheme because it's so hard, you know, because. You know, everything you're doing is predicated on uh, audibles right before the snap of the ball and then what the other team does. So I think it's going to be a little harder for him defensively than offensively. Uh, Iggy, uh, coming from Hamburg, nothing against Hamburg, but uh, physically looks good. But, you know, where he was as big or bigger and as strong or stronger than everybody he played, now he's going to be playing against peers. So... It's going to be a question of learning the system. He's never run zone before. You know, they just ran toss and ISO. So he's got to learn how to be patient and how to attack things. And defensively, uh, same thing. He's going to have to learn the system. But, you know, they've been working hard. You know, no complaints there. And uh, it's just going to be a question of how they do when it comes to game speed. Um, looking forward to this season. Um, we know it's kind of a one game at a time mentality, but are there any uh, particular games, either non-league or league, that kind of stick out as um, have the potential to be a really tough or good matchup this year? Mifflin, Springfield. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of knew that one was coming, but we have to ask. Yeah, everyone wants to know what your opinion on and we know what the coach speak is about it, but you know, if we don't ask, everyone's going to well, be telling us about it. First of all, you know, Mifflin's Mifflin. It always starts out with them. It's hard to say. They lost some key players, but they always seem to find a couple, and they, you know, they run that midline option game, and and they run it well. So, and it's scary when you have a lot of young kids going against it because discipline's so important. You know, when we have a veteran defense coming back, I'm never worried about it. But we have a young defense, so are they going to be disciplined enough? You know, time will tell. Spring Ford has athletes, Coach Brubaker, you know, who coached for us years ago, has done a great job down there. They're going to be tough. It's their third game, our second. So very concerned there just from the experience factor. And then we hit Central Dolphin, who, you know, is Central Dolphin. You know, probably going to be picked again to win, you know, the mid-pen one. So, yeah, our non-league's brutal. Right. 
really brutal. We actually mentioned that I believe with every every coach and player we've talked to. It you know once you get through that non-league schedule, you'll know what type of team you have. It's tough when you're playing those three caliber programs, and then you get to the league schedule. You'll know exactly who you are uh, as a football team when you have to play those three teams first. Find out first of all how well we're, you know, what we've learned, how smart we've gotten. Are we able to adjust? Are they able to handle adversity? Because there's going to be some. So that was head coach Doug Doms answering all the questions we could throw at him. Some interesting stuff there from him. Uh, you know, he talked a little bit about the classifications that we went over the. The current schedule for this year, the problems with Springford, you know, them playing a game a week before we are. Now we're playing them in what is our week two, but is their week three. And that, like right. you just, said, that's a big thing. That's just to clarify, deal. yeah, Springford is in District District 1. one yeah. yeah, so they so – District 1 has a lot of – They have uh, a lot of teams. Six, eight teams, and they've elected to keep the 16-team playoff. right. So they have not eliminated a playoff game. They eliminated a scrimmage. They eliminated a scrimmage. So everything is bumped up a week for them. Um, so because of that, uh, that creates some different, you know, things going on. You know, with the quick turnaround, this decision was made over the winter. You know, lots of teams are kind of scrambling. Um, but, you know, that's kind of how the, the schedule was set for this year. And, and it stayed that way. Uh, you know, after looking at lots of different options, that's kind of, it just kind of stayed the same, um, which I think both schools are actually okay with, you know, especially this year. But, um, you know, having that extra week kind of throws things off uh, for for teams a little bit. Uh, Coach Dom's had a lot to say about Big 33, and, you know, it was an honor to have him represent Wilson and, um, th you know, technically three Bulldogs picked to it go. Was, it was cool that he got to go when, when so many some, Wilson players Wilson were there. Players are, yeah. Especially – this year, like being uh, the guys that went were really there for defense and right. him being the defensive yep. coordinator for the team. That that was just kind of cool. Yeah, and I got to go, and so it was awesome. It was my first Big 33 game. I figured if there was a year I should go, it probably should be when we've got a coach on the staff and, you know, two two people playing in the game. And it was a lot of fun to see Ike and Jake, uh, you know, playing against the some of the best competition in the nation. Yeah, and, you know, we, we kind of joke about this all the time, but – Coach Doms is crazy busy all the time. <laughs> and um, so for another thing, you know, I know he's had, he had meetings and all kinds of stuff like that through the spring for that and then into the summer, but it, he did seem to enjoy it uh, and enjoy the experience anyway and kind of like getting to talk to the other coaches and all those things he mentioned. Yeah, for sure. Now, um, we, we interviewed a couple other coaches, like I mentioned, and we're going to roll – right into the next one, which is with Coach Dom's offensive coordinator, Mr. Jeremy Palm. Well, thanks for joining us this, again this year, Coach. And last year we were able to do the first season of the show, and we're glad to be doing the second season again this year. And we want to make sure that we got you on before the season started to just get your uh, little bit of take on last year talk about uh, this summer and things that are going to be happening and uh, you know, what to expect in, in 2016. Um, reached out to some you know, you know, former players, fans of the program and stuff, just to see if they had like any questions that they wanted to hear, since that's kind of why you know, we're doing this, for, for the community and the fans to you know, kind of get an inside look at the program um, for as much as you guys are willing to give us. And one of the questions was just about 
Um, and I know you can't give much away, but about like the playbook, th things with the offensive playbook, um, does it go under like annual changes and re revisions? Is there a reevaluation process? Um, what goes into putting together the offensive game plans? I mean, we know it's a week to week thing, but there's a general overall knowledge that you come in entering the year. Does that change year to year? Do you learn stuff? That they just wanted to kind of know, you know, how, how does that, what happens on the field? How does that come about? We kind of start broad. Um, and put a whole lot in. And then as you get a feel for the linemen that you have, the skill guys you have, the quarterback you have, you know, you start to narrow that in on what you think you can be good and successful at. So, um, you know, a lot of depend on the linemen. If you have some big road grading linemen, you obviously want to try and get downhill and attack people with, uh, with a lead series. But if you have some smaller, quicker guys that can get to the second level, then that zone, um, you know, is, is big for you. So you you kind of have like your your general idea of what you're going to do, but then you kind of adapt to the mentality of the team and what players you have. It's not like we have this system. This is where we're going to run. It changes year to year based on the talent and um, you know maybe one year like you said you got big big linemen. You want to be that real bulldozing team. Another year maybe a little bit more finesse. Yeah, I mean, you saw from, from two years ago, you saw Jake Templin run the ball a little bit more. Uh, and then you, 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 we stumbled upon Colin Powers last year. And, uh, you know, he wasn't quite the runner um, that Jake was, but he did a heck of a job in the passing game. So we got away from some of the three-step stuff, did a lot more five-step with our passing game, whereas with Jake, we did a lot of the quarterback run, uh, you know, zone read type stuff and a little bit shorter stuff with him, which really, you know, just set up to his, his uh, skill set. So a lot of people, yeah. sorry. Let's go ahead. I was just going to say, a lot of people also asked about um, how do you come at it in a post-game situation the way 2015 ended, and, you know, it was a shocking loss in, in the playoffs. A lot of people want to know how do you as coaches, you know, band together and, and overcome that, but also how do you address it in the immediate aftermath with the players, because they're the ones, the seniors, that this was it for them. How do you come about that? Um, from a coaching standpoint and just address that with them is such a such a tough loss and you know you you don't want to sound harsh or anything but you know you have next year as a coach you know as a senior you don't have next year right. so you try and impress that upon them and go and and coach had been saying in the paper you know look out for this be careful we beat this team already so you know that loss really stung um it took some time to get over uh we watched it a few times to see you know what it, exactly what went wrong and evaluate if there's anything that we could have done differently. And as coaches, you know, we've talked about that. And then, you know, really we kind of give the kids through December and then January, we just made sure we came back and say it's 2016, guys. And, and we tried to address that every morning in the weight room uh, moving forward, you know, finish what we start. Every year this comes up, your losses on paper, because there's always these bunch of kids that step up generally as seniors and all of a sudden then the next year they're like, well, that was a huge loss, even though entering the year no one was talking about them. Um, Colin Powers is a huge example. Last year when we talked about the quarterback competition, at the time it seemed it was we were leaning Klein. That's what everyone had been saying. And then all of a sudden Powers comes out, starts and plays incredibly. Um, I think if I'm remembering correctly in the history book or the stat book, he's one of the top five or six in terms of like completion percentage, you know, and that wasn't expected. But now he's talked about as a huge loss, even though a year ago no one was talking about it. Um, but you also lost Klein um, as, as an option at quarterback and uh, Dantzler, Bailey McElroy, um, Fox, Gaiman, and three linemen. So on paper, it looks like you're losing a lot, but those that know the program knows it's just a reloading mentality. And there's a ton coming back with O'Brien, Regal, Morris, Fode, Twyfer, Mason, Brian Wright, and, and, and a bunch of people I'm not mentioning. Is, are you at a point for the 2016 season that you're 
comfortable with what you have back, knowing what's returning. I mean, obviously, like maybe one of the one or two pieces, but is entering the 2016 season is a lot different than last year, or you're about on the same footing. You know what you have when, when the lights come on on Friday night last year. You know, when you're coming into the season, you know you have you have Fox and Gaiman and Dancer, the, those established guys. Um, you know, Twyford's coming back. We tend and we're, we have a lot of guys. So, you know, Fode played a ton of defense last year, and, and he didn't play as much offense because he was banged up a little bit. But we know what he can do. Um, we've had a couple interactions, and through spring, you know, we're excited about what we have. You know, we got some good guys coming through. Um, the the issue is going to be become the depth. You know, we, we can't have any injuries. You know, we got to see what's going to shake out playing two way guys that are playing two ways and guys that are playing one way, and, and just see where we're at conditioning wise. But um, you know, there, there's some excitement now. It's a new challenge. It's it's fun. It's fun as coaches, you know, to have that new challenge, a new group of kids, and uh, you know, to see what they can do. I feel like there's a lot of deja vu in my questions from a year ago. Just, but it seems that we're at the same point. Um, quarterback, similar competition going on. You have uh, more of a prototypical pocket guy in Grayson, yep. and you got a guy that can move in in Yurig. Um, right now, no, it's it's only June. We're going to be talking about this uh, on the show in July, but you know, what, where 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 do you put that right now with the two guys battling for that spot? I mean, every day is a new challenge for them. They just got to go out and win the spot every day. Uh, you know, unfortunately, until we're getting hit, you you can't pull that trigger. You know, some guys may be good when no one's pressuring them, uh, and you just got to wait and play it out. See, they're both pushing hard. Um, they're doing their best to learn as much as they can and, and trying to execute that on the field through our seven on sevens. Uh, and different things that we'll do at skills and through practice. So it's neck and neck. You'll have to tune in in August. <laughs> <laughs> so, or, uh, so it was it September 2nd against Mifflin, I guess we'll know. That's right. And like I said, last year, we didn't, you know, until I think it might have been the day over the day before when I think uh, uh, Mike Drago said that Colin Powers would be starting. It, or yeah. it might have been the day of, I don't even remember. But So it's one of those things that the way it shakes out, we'll find out in a couple months. And they always talk about that position. So, you know, oh, it's the here more Well, and more and more. you kind of know it's a pretty important position on the field. Yeah, so. yeah it's gonna, it'll, it'll dictate a lot for our, for our offense. There's, so there's a couple of new faces in the program this year that um, probably going to make some um, – hopefully some significant contributions for your offense. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, Justin Weller and Iggy Reynoso? Yeah, um, you know, we, we've had a lot of experience with Iggy. He's moved in since the start of the fourth quarter. Uh, he's been in the weight room working hard. You know, he's bought into kind of what's, you know, what's expected. And uh, he's been doing a nice job. The guys seem to really rally with him and get along with him pretty well. Um, you know, so we're excited what, what he offers to uh, help out with O'Brien, um, you know, and those guys in the backfield coming back from last year. And, uh, and Justin's done a real nice job since moving in from Illinois. If you remember Kevin Weller from back in 2012 season, uh, his whole family moved and stayed now. So he has uh, a, a brother who's going to be a senior. He's got a brother who's going to be a junior and a brother who's going to be a freshman. So you'll be hearing the Weller name for a few more years. But he, he looked good uh, in our seven on seven. They came right at the end of school. Um, so we have limited experience exposure to him. But he, he's been great through drills so far. And uh, you know he's trying to pick up mentally as much as he can in a shorter period of time because uh, he's got the, he's got the athletic ability. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. We know these kids have the athletic ability. Now it's just learning the program and picking up the system. And once they do, things probably looking looking up for them. Yeah, and, and the, the fundamentals of it, you know, every, every coach diff, coaches different things differently. So uh, when he gets here, gets the fundamentals of how we run this route and, and get all that, like, I think we'll be all right. It'll be all a big right. help. Great. Looking forward just uh, to the, the actual 2016 season rather than just talking about the players. Uh, some of the teams you're going to face, uh, do you know much about um, 
the LL teams this year and who would be probably the toughest defense your offense will face? Um, Hempfield's given us trouble, you know, in the last few years. It's been a little bit of a battle in Township. Uh, you know, they're always tough and, and reload every year. So, you know, we're expecting that. Um, you know, but we, we kind of say that we get in our own way. If we, if, if we stay out of our own way, we should be okay. But, you know, the target grows every year uh, as the streak continues. So we get everybody's championship effort. You know, we just got to make sure we can handle that. Is there... Um a specific game you personally are looking forward to this year in the regular season? Is there one team that you like to face as a challenge or just they're a lot of fun to play against? Um, well, Joey, we take it game, one game at a time. Game by game? Yes. Really? Yep, it'll be that first team that we face that, that we'll be looking forward to playing. <laughs>
most likely, and this is kind of what you see throughout the Wilson system everywhere, is, is going to have to win the job next year too. Now, you know, they will whoever ends up winning it will have a you know a step up probably just from an experience standpoint. But um, you know, that that's one of the things you see these guys in there, and and some of the coaches talked about it. Um, you know, there's guys that you know what you're going to get. There's an expectation, a rather high expectation. Then there's guys that you have high expectations for, but you, you haven't really seen them reach that yet. And then Wilson is, you know, built this system on having those roles filled and then having guys who have just worked really hard, you know, those years and have flown under the radar and maybe they grew a little bit or maybe they got a little bit stronger. Maybe they just worked that much right. harder at practice. They, they dedicated themselves to the craft. They're going to get their chance at some point this fall and step up. And it happens every single year. Um, and, and those are the guys that kind of are going to determine, you know, it, the, there's a lot that goes into determining how far the team goes. But without those other guys filling in those roles, kind of with, with for lack of a better term, out of nowhere, um, it, it's you're not going to reach those levels you want to reach. Well, thank you to Coach Palm for sitting down with us and go, and answering those questions. Now, the next interviewee is a new one to the Bulldog Hour. We didn't talk to him last year, but we wanted to get him on the show this year uh, to talk a little bit about um, the, the running back position. So we're going to uh, ask a few questions with running back coach Jake Peterson. All right, so with us now we have Coach Peterson, who uh, coaches the running backs for Wilson. Um, Coach, uh, you had Shane Dantzler in the program who ended his four-year uh, career with over 3,300 rushing yards and 32 rushing touchdowns. Um, you also lose a guy who stepped up last year in Bailey McElroy. Um, what is going to go into kind of replacing that production that has kind of been there for years uh, for um, – from those guys in in terms of on Friday nights? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really the next up mentality. We, we've had some guys that have been in the program now for a couple years. Uh, Tommy O'Brien, um, you know, has been, he, he played some significant time last year when Shane was hurt. Um, you know, but it, it's hard because you got a different style, you get different style runners all the time, and you, we really, you know, just pay attention to, to trying to focus on uh, exploiting their talents and, and what they're really good at. And um, you know, taking the next to the next level with that. Yeah, and uh, you, you kind of mentioned you have you have O'Brien. Um, we're also gonna expect to see some of Iggy Reynosa back there, um, and you also have uh, McFoy possibly uh, coming into the mix as well. Um, do you expect that uh, we may see more of like a feature back system, or do you think it's going to be a little bit more of a like running back by committee, kind of like we've seen at well, times? We've had Shane, who's been who's in the system for four years. He played as a freshman for us, and you know knew the, knew the system inside and out. So at, at that point, it was a, a lot of uh, you know we're going to see Shane and, and maybe sprinkle in a guy here and there. Um, with with Tommy playing uh, a good deal, Tommy O'Brien playing a lot, a good deal defensively, uh, we we won't be able to do quite as much as that. Um, you know, we'd expect a guy like Iggy to also be able to, to contribute some defensively, and it's tough coming into the system first year and being able to to pull off everything that we have, um, you know, all, all at one time. So a guy like uh, you know McVoy. Uh, coming in and he's got to learn entire offense same thing with Iggy's got to learn entire offense um, 
definitely have athletic talents, but but we got to get it together mentally, um, which is which is why Tommy is such a big part of what we're going to be doing this upcoming year. So um, with that with that idea of kind of you know spreading spreading the touches around a little bit, some with the experience and some based off of uh, the defensive um, responsibilities for some of those guys. Um, you know, if we look, there's a possibility of at least three, probably in reality, more guys getting touches uh, throughout the season. Um, you have to go back to 1980 uh, when uh, Wilson had Doug Ertz, Vito Ninfo, and Peter Schreck all rush for a thousand yards. Um, I, I don't want to say is that a possibility this year because you know that that's pretty crazy. But I mean, that, what would your thoughts be if, if that were something that, like, come week eight or nine, that if, that if we, we could, could do that? For over three thousand yards in the season, that would be great. But we, we don't quite. Um, we we seem to be a little more multifaceted than teams would play back then, and that's just the nature of how the game has changed over time. If we could get so, three thousand yard rushers, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'd be I think that that would, pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty, pretty that would be a pretty good sign of uh, the way things have gone at that point. So. I'll ask you the same thing that I asked Coach Palm. Um, is there a defensive team that you like to see your running back go up against is it because it's a particular challenge or is it just kind of year in, year out, it changes, you don't know what they're going to throw at you? Or is there someone personally that you like to see your running backs be able to, to run all over? Well, our, our first three games of the season are just huge challenges for us offensively. Um, because you know Mifflin's always coming in with with um, some some pretty big linemen, some pretty athletic football players. Uh, they play a tough style of defense. Um, you know, Springford's going to be a new challenge because we haven't we haven't gotten to face them in a regular season game. We've seen their vanilla defense in, in scrimmages, but um, you know we're gonna we know we're gonna see a lot more out of them. And then Central Dolphin, we always know is a is a district power. So, um, you know, you always have a couple guys that are going to, um, you know, be Division One type athletes on that team, and, and they play a, a tough physical style of defense. So those first three games are definitely a challenge. That non-league slate really sets the tone for the entire Absolutely. season. Absolutely. So that was running backs coach Jake Peterson enlightening us on what he's able to do there. At the, with the running backs, and he's been coaching that position for a few years now. But, you know, after having a running back like Shane Dantzler for four years, we just thought it would be interesting to get his, you know, get get his take, especially because uh, not having him this year is kind of more of a story than the last four years when he's had him at his disposal. But it's not as though, and we addressed this in the interview, that there isn't any talent coming back because Tommy O'Brien is a great player. You have um, the freshman that everyone's talking about, Abdul McFoy, and also um, the the new student that moved into the district in Iggy Reynoso, who was electric at Hamburg last year. So you got uh, three guys. Plus, there's always guys that we don't mention, you know, that aren't the, the big right, names. Exactly. That there could be you know, a senior year, stepping up. Last year, you know, the season ended up being Bailey McElroy stepping up and uh, you know having having a big year until he got injured later in the year, and that's when Tommy was really able to step in there. Um, you know, and, and carry the load a little bit, um, until Shane was able to get back. So you never know, um, you know, like you said, there's definitely still some talent there, how that talent steps into the system. You know, there's, um, uh, you know, Tommy has probably the most experience, but 
he may be the one that's called on the most on defense right. out of that group. Actually, yeah, he, he's almost guaranteed to defense. be the key cog of those guys on, on defense. So, you know, who, what that, what impact does that play into the running back game? We'll have to wait till probably September to get a, a really good grasp. What is also the two guys that I mentioned? How quickly do they, do they get adjusted to the system? You know, right. Iggy's coming over from Hamburg, where he actually I think played some quarterback as well. He was kind of in that spread system that got him in the position he needed to be. Wilson's a little bit different, and he's got to learn uh, how to play uh, offense and defense for the Bulldogs. And Abdul is only a ninth grader. You don't usually see too many ninth graders, especially right. at the position of running back, come in and make a lot of noise. And obviously that's where people, um, you know, the seniors and juniors that have already been there are going to fill in the gaps and fill in the roles until uh, some of these other players are ready. But we'll, we'll probably see a healthy dose of, uh, you know, maybe four or five running backs. And Jake kind of said that. There could be guys that step up that you're not talking about now, and all of a sudden, you know, they're that senior that wasn't talked well, about, and all of a sudden's carrying the team. Last year before the season, everybody's talking about Shane, 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 and, and rightfully so. He had, he'd earned that, you know, that recognition. And then, you know, unfortunately, it didn't necessarily play out that way. And next thing you know, everybody's talking about Bailey McElroy, and then everybody's talking about Tommy. You know, it just yep. it seems like one after another – they hope to build that ability, you know, kind of giving a bunch of guys a chance to learn and prove that they can do it uh, so that they have that flexibility there. All right. For the last interview and to wrap up this first episode of season two of the Bulldog Hour, we're going to jump back to the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, that's where Coach Doms uh, made a name for himself. So we're going to return to that aspect with Coach Doms' right-hand man, defensive coordinator Ernie Wolber. All right. Well, thanks for joining us again. We, we talked to you last year for uh, the first season of the, the new Bulldog Hour, mm-hmm. and uh, we wanted to make sure that we talked to you again this year. Um, we'll talk a little bit about last season, but mostly we'll focus on 2016. Okay. Um, let's see. Where should we go first? We talked to um, Coach Palm and uh, Coach Peterson already. And we're going to talk with Coach Doms, but um, the first question that we asked uh, Coach Palm was um, kind of crowdsourced from everyone, Facebook and Twitter, just kind of, we said that we would be talking to you guys again, and we wanted, if there was one specific question, like they wanted insight into the program or whatever, uh, and a couple people mentioned about, uh, they're interested in learning about um, playbook, like not specifics, obviously, Mm -hmm. but just, is this something that is reevaluated at the end of each year? Do you look to add or subtract just kind of general revisions or changes? Like we know that there's a system in place. Is it something that's more concrete or is it a little more fluid? And is it also dependent on the type of personnel you have each year? Uh, personnel has a lot to do with it, obviously. Um, but what I try to do at the end of every season is uh, I actually watch our opponents every game film and I watch their defense. I mean, it's a copycat game. I mean, if somebody has success doing something, I'll watch their film and will I change what we do? Absolutely not, completely. But if it fits into what we do and the structure of our program and our defensively speaking, um, I'll definitely use it and it's something I like and I'll actually try to talk to some of the coaches about it if I know the coach real well um, and implement some of the things they do, put in our terminology and make it work for us. It works for them, it works, you know, I'll try to use it on our defensive side too. So, yes, I do keep up with that. We also go to clinics in the winter. Um, with Division One coaches, Division Two coaches, Division Three coaches, and we try to implement some of those things too. Again, if they work into our game plan, so 
yeah, we use as much resources as we can and we, we evolve. It's always evolving. Uh, 2015 um, ended on a sour note, ended um, abruptly. A lot of people, um, it kind of caught people off guard. It was just something, you know, got, I don't know if it, there's a simple explanation out there, but people were asking about how do you address the team after something like that? It's been hyped up all year, and especially for the seniors, all of a sudden it ends um, unexpectedly. Is there something that you can even say or do to console them? It, it's different as a coach. You know there's next year. But mm -hmm. the seniors, that's it for them in a Bulldog uniform. Is there something that you can even begin to say, or how do you start to address that with your players? Um... It, it's hard. Uh, I mean, you'll see many of those guys cry after a game, especially a game we should have won. Um, it was very difficult. Uh, what we try to say is going into that week, we had a really bad week of practice. I mean, all around. We just we weren't having our normal speed of practice, our normal um, concentration. It just we were off. And the entire coaching staff was worried about that going into it. And we played like we practiced. We made some mistakes in the game, mistakes in practice. Um, and as you know, Joe, we were like, you play like you practice. And we had a poor week of practice, and that happens. Now, consoling the kids that are leaving, basically, we just say we know. We wish we could say something to make it go away, but we can't. I mean, there are kids that were still kind of in shock in January and February. And at the time, it'll go away, and hopefully you can learn. you got to prepare. If you don't prepare, you're not going to be successful. And try to use that philosophy the rest of their lives. If you don't prepare, you're not going to be successful. So that's... That's, you know, what you can say is kind of limited, like you mentioned, it's uh, limited what, how you can console the seniors, but um, are, there, are there lessons or things you try and then bring up with last year's underclassmen who are now in that, hopefully filling in some of those leadership roles, or is it kind of a thing like, you know, that's the past, we're, we're just not going to deal with that anymore? It's kind of a combination. Uh... We lost, we know the season was over, but we'll take why, why we feel we lost the game. I mean, I, I make some other calls defensively, absolutely. Coach Palm made different calls offensively, absolutely. Um, we stuck to our game plan. Um, we didn't execute real well. And we kind of say, guys, look what happens when you don't prepare. I mean, we had, that's one thing we owed last year, we usually had good practices. Very rarely did I walk off the field really disappointed in our practice. Um, but that whole week, it was a different feel. Like, I don't know if because we handled them so easily the first time, that they went in thinking, okay, you know, we're going to roll now. And also with Exeter looming, and Exeter wanted to play us, and we wanted to play Exeter. But uh, unfortunately, we both lost. But was it a spot of, was it was a part looking over them? Absolutely. Um, so we kind of used with these younger guys, we, hey, you know, you weren't prepared to lose. Nobody's prepared to lose. And it happened, it ends suddenly. Do you want your season to end that way? Unexpectedly, and in, a, in an upset, and the district claimed it was the biggest, one of the biggest upsets in district history. So, yeah, we use that that way, um, but we don't harp on it constantly. And we don't say, hey, look what, you know, look what happened. We can't let that happen again. That's not what we're talking about. We just, if you're prepared, you'll be successful. Yeah. And that's if, what we try to use that. If, if you have to walk that line, because if you harp on it too much, then you're just kind of building pressure. Absolutely. And you keep that there where you just need to learn from it and move on. Absolutely. Does it appear that the um, now that the senior class of football class of 2016, have they taking that to heart, the, the stuff that was said afterwards, or have they, you know, have they looked past that and just taken on the leadership role, or are they using that as motivation for this season? Um, again, both. Uh, we're really having a lot of kids step up in senior class. Um, 
they're pushing each other in the weight room, pushing each other doing our sled work in the summer, pushing each other on the field during um, technique work. Uh, they're pushing them hard, but they also know we don't want to happen what happened last year. You know, um, they feel pressure as it is. We don't talk about the streak, the different streaks we have. We don't bring that up at practice. I mean, we'll bring up try to still win the league championship, but we don't talk about winning games in a row or not losing seasons. Um, but they bring pressure upon themselves and drive themselves. Like they don't want to be that team. So they push themselves that way. Um, but using last year, they have used it as motivator. You know, we don't want our season to end like that and abruptly like that. Like if you're going to get beat by a better football team, that happens, which has happened in the past here. We can beat by better teams. Um, I still to this day feel we were better than CD East. And that's a tough one to swallow for myself and the guys. But they've really used that, and it's not going to happen to us, not going to happen to us. And that's amongst them. That's not myself or any of the coaches telling them that. They've kind of, you see that in summer workouts. They're like, that's not happening to us. So they use that. This seems to come up every year, but there's always a lot of losses on paper. But paper is irrelevant when it comes down to playing on the gridiron in the fall. And a lot of people have caught on, especially during this run. You know, you don't you don't like to mention the numbers or talk about winning, whatever. But obviously, the papers are going to do that all the time, uh, the streaks and whatnot. Yes. Um, and mentioning now, it's just, and it, it's been decades, but it's really come to relevance or prominence in, in the media uh, over the last few years as teams expect, or excuse me, the, the papers and maybe other teams expected Wilson to be down a little bit. You know, a few years ago, mm -hmm. I think they had pegged uh, Wilson going six and four. You know, this mm -hmm. was 2013, everyone, every, that great team of 2012, and they were looking to head to 2014, 2015. Everyone thought 2013 was going to be down, and we all know how that ended up. Mm -hmm. um, so the, it kind of brought that idea back in the paper of the Wilson just keeps reloading every year, re reload, reload. Um, this year, from the hype of 2015 and this, the the great players, you know, we just had two play in the Big 33 game. We have multiple people going on to play college ball again. It's, that happens every year, but last year, the, the names just seemed to be bigger because they had been in the program for so many years. Yeah. You're losing them all now, but we all know that that usually doesn't end up making much of a difference. Are there some key players that are going to step up this year as maybe first-year starters that you're looking at for your defense? And also, who are the big-name guys that are coming back that people should already be familiar with? Uh, yeah, we have, um, I mean, practice. We practice everybody. that all gets reps. You know, we try to get as many people reps as possible. So the underclassmen did get reps of practice, and we did win some games last year, and they got some playing time on the field during that. Um, People say we reload, you know, we just keep coming, keep coming. Um, it's all about preparation. Um, practice has to be competitive. Um, you have to compete every play, and you're going to beat sometimes, but you got to, you know, come back and be competitive the next play. Um, we do have some kids that um, got some time last year, and they will hopefully step up. Um, our biggest concern right now, I believe, is probably in our secondary. Uh, you know, we lost, you know, three starters. Um, Pat O'Brien, I'm sorry. Tommy O'Brien, I was calling Pat. Uh, Tommy O'Brien uh, played a lot. He's a senior this year, so he'll come back at safety and we'll, we'll some um, experience back there. But the other three, two corners and now the safety are going to be you know, non-stars last year. Now, Mason Macro will be one of those corners. Uh, we expect that. Uh, Mason played a lot last year. He was our he gave um, game in and close breaks last year, so he did play a lot of varsity football. So he could be a pseudo-starter, if you will. But the other corner is going to be a, a newcomer, player. complete player that's never been on the field a whole lot. Um, so that's going to be tough. Um, at linebacker, you know, Foday's back, and he'll be a three-year starter for us. Um, we expect big things from him. 
Um, Leo, Leo Quigley will be an inside linebacker. Uh, we're expecting a good year from him. The other linebacker spot, you know, there's Elliot Bob, there's uh, Chad Lewis, um, there's Eddie Ortiz, there's um, Hatley, Trevor Hatley. I mean, there's a lot of guys vying for that spot. Um, and if Cream, will, if Cream will rise at the top in the end. Um, up front. Uh, they got big shoes to fill. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, they, they understand the tradition. Um, they understand, you know, Ike arguably is one of the best players ever come out of, the, out of our program. Uh, That's saying a lot. Exactly. Um, Leo started with him last year, so that'll help. Um, he got some experience. He's being a real good leader. Him and Foot are doing a nice job leading us this summer. Um, up front, we are we have no idea. Um, we have a huge roster. Like our roster is in the high 90s right now. Um, so hopefully one of those 90s step up at each position at either both tackles and both ends. And uh, we don't want to go two ways all the time, right. which we usually don't do. Um, but unfortunately, those guys, Regal, Morris, um, Wyatt Schenauer, who played last year, um, those guys have got to contribute defensively, but not full time, hopefully. How do you plan on using Alex Twyford? Alex is the X factor. Alex is getting reps um, at defensive end. Alex is getting reps at linebacker. Um, he's a tight kid. He's a lot along the lines of a Tyler Beck, or uh, not not the guy, not the juniors. A phenomenal player, but juniors are pretty scary. Junior Joseph was a pretty scary player. He did that role. Um, Negrelli did the same thing. Dom did that role. So he's going to be a guy that can rush off the edge, play some solid football at the end because he's so fundamentally sound. And there's be opportunities for him to play some linebacker too. So we're trying to use him and try to put him in a spot where he can be successful and not overextend his abilities. So that's what we're going to try to do. But he, he will be the integral part of the defense this year, yes. So based on the schedule, you had already mentioned that the secondary uh, was a place that you had to find a lot of new starters, um, had a little bit of experience coming back in Tommy O'Brien, but um, the cornerback position, um, especially the second cornerback position, is an area that you're going to have to find someone step up. But the early schedule playing Governor Mifflin, Springford, um, Central Dolphin, uh, especially Governor Mifflin, they're more run-oriented teams, so you want to have that defensive line settled. Uh, generally, year-to-year, -year, defensive end seems to be a little bit more consistent, but defensive tackle is where you have uh, players step up as seniors mm. or they come out of nowhere maybe as, as a junior that really stepped up his game from his sophomore season. That's what you're looking at this year. Uh, again, so you're looking for someone to step up and fill that role uh, along the defensive line early? Yes, definitely. Um, what we did last year is um, I'll take uh, Isaiah Regal and uh, Morris as examples. They played primarily offensive last year. What we did the end of the season, when it was getting late in the season, we got those guys as much reps as possible um, in weeks 7, 8, 9, 10, and get them some reps defensively just to kind of get their, you know, get a little wet in there, get a feel for what's going on so they're not going in blind this year because guys like that have to step up for us. Um, we don't want to be obviously two-way players all the time, but we're going to have to. Some of those guys are going to step up and play part-time defensively, um, not full-time, but part-time. So we have some good younger kids that are really impressing us right now. Um, but the competition, you're going to get after it and find find out who's best. And it's there's a lot of guys hungry to play, and they're teammates and they support each other. But there's also a little bit of cutthroat. I want to play, and what I say to most of the kids who are competing for a job, don't give something up. If you want it, take it. Don't give it up. And in years past, or even you know last year, in some positions, the guy just took a back seat. Don't take a back seat. If you want to play Friday nights, or you want to play Monday afternoons, prove it. That's a practice. It seems that, and and 
seeing this coaching myself, it seems that there's a lot of times defensive tackles, a spot where you can find Lear, like that is where this kid will play. He can do this. He might not be able to do anything offensively, and he's probably not fast enough to stand up or anything, but he can play defensive tackle. We've seen that the last few years. Two years ago, I believe it was Chris Osorio, Mm -hmm. and uh, last year in Torrey Coates, who was an interesting one who came here, I think, as a running back linebacker, and he kind of said, look around, you're probably not going to get too much playing time with the kids in front of you, and you saw him in a drill, and all of a sudden no one could block him. Absolutely. He plays tackle for you and has an incredible year Absolutely. as a senior. Uh, is there someone right now, maybe out of position, shifting positions, a new player to the team, or just a guy coming up as a senior that you're thinking he could maybe make a contribution at tackle this year? Um, Senior-wise, I don't think so. Um, we moved some sophomores that are going to be juniors this year. Uh, we already talked to three or four kids. Um, we talked to Sprout. We talked to um, Nash. Uh, we've talked to, um, trying to think some other names, sorry about that, but uh, a few kids, a few of the juniors are stepping up. They've been defensive ends, or they've been a linebacker, and they're kind of, they didn't gain as much weight as we thought they might gain, and they're very strong and very athletic. And so what we're doing is trying to take those guys and say, hey, we're going to throw you inside a little bit. I know you're a defensive end or an outside linebacker type, but we're going to put you down a trench a little bit and need to learn, uh, learn what's going on with defensive tackle. And those are the guys that in certain games can really be successful for us. So senior-wise, it's it's tough. Um, I don't think we have anybody in the senior class that's going to be surprising us. But in the underclassmen, we're moving some people around. I think there's going to be some surprises down there and some kids that just worked real hard in the offseason, had great years in the weight room, and uh, I mean, a great season in the weight room, and um, they'll help us definitely defensively. Last year we saw the – uh, coincidentally, the quarterback competition kind of come into play a little bit with your defense just because a player that you wanted to have at a linebacker was up for the, the quarterback mm-hmm. job in Jake Klein. But then we saw Colin Powers step up and kind of solidify his spot, mm-hmm. allowing you to play Jake Moore on defense. Now, unfortunately, he got hurt and you didn't get, he didn't get to see the field as much as, yeah. as you would have liked. But that I think you're kind of getting deja vu a little bit again this year between Grayson Klein, who's he's a prototypical pocket guy, He's not going to contribute on your defense. Mm-hmm. But the other guy he's competing with in Connor Yurig, does he have potential to play defensively in, in the secondary at all? Uh, you had, we've seen him last year a little bit in some packages, and he was one of the first guys out on the field um, when, when you put in the reserves. Mm-hmm. Is he someone that could contribute if he's not the starting quarterback? Absolutely. Um, Connor's a very coachable kid. Connor is a – he does things on the field you don't coach. Uh, you just always run a football. Um, he has great instincts. Um, he could definitely contribute in secondary for us this year. Uh, but, again, we have to get settled the quarterback. Um, they're getting equal reps right now. Nobody's ahead of the other one. Um, Grayson it does work with me at outside linebacker. Um, could he play there potentially? Probably not this year, but maybe senior. I don't know. But um, Connor Ura could definitely play in our secondary this year. Um, would he start first day? I don't know. But uh, he could definitely contribute defensively for us. And we used him last year as some outside linebacker and safety because um, he, he's a nice cover guy and he's smart and he's very coachable. So, yeah, he de- could definitely help us defensively this year. There's a couple of new faces that moved into the district this year. Um, we have the Weller family who a few years ago, um, the older brother was a quarterback for the team. Mm-hmm. Now we have um, Justin and his two younger brothers. And also um, Iggy Reynoso are do will they – Excuse me. Will any of them have any impact on your defensive rotation at linebacker in the secondary, or are they going to primarily be offensive players? Um, coming in, um, they were both the, the two, the oldest, Weller, Justin and Iggy. They came in. They were primarily offensive players at previous school. Previous school, um, Justin played more defense than Iggy did. Uh, 
we tried to, I've been hands off with Justin just to get him since he's come in to try to learn our offense. Focus on the offensive play. He's he's a very good football player. He is very, um, he's great technique. Um, and he's a smart football player. So he's picking those things up and I actually talked to him on beginning of this week and we're actually starting to get him some defensive time now. Could he help us? Absolutely. Um, but we're trying to in, bring him in slowly. And I want to throw the whole book, playbook offensively and defensive at him. Um, Iggy's in the same spot. Uh, Iggy's playing outside linebacker for us. Um, and I'm not throwing everything at him, not throwing a kitchen sink. We do a lot of things, as you know, and I'm not trying to get too involved with him until he feels more comfortable offensively. Offensively, it feels as if he's pretty much got everything down really well. So, again, we I started to get more on him on Monday, too, to get him more time and more reps. Because I think both those guys could help us eventually down the road. If not early, later on down the road, they could help us. They're just too athletic, too good a football players not to play both ways. So I think both of them would help um, on defense this year. The younger Weller, uh, he'll be a junior. I forget his first name. I'm sorry. Um, he just got here. He got here a little later. Um, and Justin and again now with him my hands are off defensively right now I'm just trying to let him run offense learn one side of the ball it's too much to do both sides right so learn one side get comfortable and then we'll try to teach you more that's kind of what the approach we're taking looking at 2016 what's the toughest offense you expect to face this season week to week um right. <laughs> I mean you go out with Mifflin with their you know veer wing tee you know whatever you want to call it I mean that's all about discipline um, then we come in Chad Brubaker from Springford. Chad knows our defense. Um, he'll come out and he'll, his offense will look very similar to ours. And I'm sure he'll try to take some advantage of the things he sees. Um, so that's a whole different suit. And then you go to Central Dolphin, who runs unbalanced sets and some crazy different things. And so the opening three weeks are totally different. Um, oh, it is. Absolutely, it is. I mean, Mifflin's Mifflin. I mean, they could come in not thinking to do well, and they could take us to the barn burn and possibly beat us. You can't discount the rivalry. Never. Um, Springfork is coming up here, and Chad wants to beat us. And Chad's going to do whatever he can, get film, whatever, work hard, and try to find a game plan to beat us. Um, and then they go to Central Dolphin, who, Central Dolphin, I mean, state, state has won a state championship, perennial district power. Um, so it's tough to look past those. Um, league play, there's going to be a lot more spread, I think, this year. We played in the past with Lebanon replacing uh, Cedarcrest. Yep. Lebanon likes to spread it out and throw the ball over field. Air raid. Yes, <laughs> and go no huddle and just go, 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 go. So it's going to be, you know, right now I'm just having nightmares of the, of the option. <laughs> Let's deal with the first three weeks exactly. with Mifflin primarily. But exactly. Yeah, those first three weeks, I, we talked to the kids about that. It's, you know, those week by week, you know, Coach Baum said that, Coach Peterson said that, you said that, and the kids say that, and it's great to, to be – drive because that's how you have to focus that's how Wilson's been so so good you take it one week at a time the, ki- the kids talked about that those first three weeks you find out what kind of team you are absolutely and like we, we start when we start spring practice the first thing we do is beat Mifflin when we start stretch it's the first thing we say and we'll say it at every practice we go to all summer and we'll say it when we go to t- team camp and we'll say it all two two days that's our goal beat Mifflin people come and say what do you want to do this year I'm like beat Mifflin well how are you going to be I don't know we'll beat Mifflin that's our goal you know, that's our number one goal, and we try to win every week. And if we win every week, they'll take care of itself. Do you have any, you know, uh, opinion on the reclassification to, to the 6, uh, from 4A to 6A and losing a week? If, you know, if you got to play a full season last year, it was 16 games. You play a full season this year, it's 15 games if you're in the state title. Um, does that, those changes, I know it probably doesn't affect you personally or even much as a team other than, you um, 
there's there's less spots to get in the playoffs. It was 16. Now it's down to eight. Uh, other than that, is there anything that you any takeaways or opinions you have about the changes? Um, it's it the unfortunate part of the changes is going to six at six A. We have I think 17 teams in six A, uh, 17 or 18, and uh, eight make the playoffs. So about roughly half. Um, but you go to triple. I'm sorry, you used to be triple A. You go to five A. You got 32 teams yeah. vying for eight playoff spots. Yeah, and there's some loaded 5A teams. I mean, you got you know your Mayhem Centrals. You got your you know teams that have been Bishop McDevitt. I mean, Bishop McDevitt's going 4A. I think that's right. I think they're 4A. Mifflin's five. Mifflin's five. But there are so many good teams, and then you you know you always have the team out of York that runs a table, and now you go in league play, and just so many teams. It's going to be very competitive. You're going to have some teams, in my opinion, that level. There are going to be one or two lost teams being the eight seed, and that's going to be a tough. For, that's going to be battles every weekend. See, playoffs. one lost team not even make the playoffs. Potentially, if is, they don't play. Yeah, if they don't play the bigger schools, absolutely. And that's what we used to see. You know, 15 years ago when I was playing, if we didn't go nine and one, we weren't making the playoffs. No, not at all. Uh, quad A District Three only took four teams. Absolutely. I mean, I, so in week two, you're playing Springford, who's coming off of two games already because they've decided because of how big District 1 is, to play a game in what's being called Week 0, which is the, the week that you have a second scrimmage. Mm-hmm. What kind of issues presents itself when you're playing a team that's coming off of two actual real games versus you only having played one? It's going to be tough. Um, you know, We were actually looking to try to find someone else to play um, Week 2, and a couple teams yeah, we want to play it, and they didn't want to play us. Then another team came in, another team came in. So it worked out. We couldn't get somebody else. It, it's Coach Dom's, you know, us older guys, Dom's, myself, Bruce Baker. We're worried um, because it's a situation where we know the teams make the most improvements between week one and two and two and three. And that's when teams kind of settle in on what they are. So we're trying to, we're coming off a game where we're playing a totally different offense and uh, coming off a Mifflin emotional game. Um, and then we're all of a sudden switching to a whole different out and whole different animal defensively, well, offensively. Um, so we're concerned. And we were, we were. In my personal opinion, I wish it would have waited a year to do the chance classifications, because so many contracts were null and void. People dropped teams and just kind of got lost. Um, I wish it would have waited a year to let the dust settle and everybody would play the games they are. I think you're going to lose some ga- Some teams are going to lose rivalry because how many teams want to play zero a week? I mean, that's a great option. Now you have a bye week seven, eight, nine, getting healthy for the playoffs, things like that. So, and that's a great thing to have. Um, we actually talked about playing a league game zero week. Uh, the Lancashire 11 League, I guess, was allowing that. Um, but we ended up not, we, we couldn't find a team to move up and play us. Uh, which surprised me because we're, when we st- early in the years when we're, you know, vulnerable. Um, but nobody wanted to move up and play us, you know. Um, new coaches in the league. We got a bunch of new coaches in the league, so nobody wanted to move up and play us, so we couldn't find a game. Uh, and scrimmage-wise, like, we're playing Parkland first week. Parkland plays zero week. So normally when we play Parkland, we go sets of 10, 10, 10, 10, and yeah. go from there. Well, now they're going to probably want to go oh, game situation, situation, which we may not necessarily be ready for, but we have to be. So in the second week, we go into scrimmage. We're playing a try scrimmage with Daniel Boone and Burst Catholic, and who plays a quarter or a half and who doesn't play a quarter and a half. So it's kind of like, are they going to want to have game situation? Because Burst Catholic doesn't have a first scrimmage. So this is going to be the first scrimmage. So, you know, what do they want to do? You know, are they going to want to play a half of football? Um, it's hard, you know. How do you and then how do you sit out and watch two teams play half of football and somebody else plays another two halves? I mean, two quarters. I'm sorry. So it's kind of a 
it's a, it's a gray area. We're all kind of venturing in slowly and scared, and we're trying to prepare as we always do, but there definitely are some concerns. Um, with Springford's the only team that has situation we're playing against this year, but I do know some other teams just the District 3 are playing zero week. Bishop McDevitt is playing zero week. Uh, there's a few other teams playing. So it is a concern, and there's no way to fix it right now. Like I said, I wish it would have waited a year to implement so everybody could get the schedule set and so on and so forth between scrimmages and games. So it's just unfortunate everything happened this way, but hey, you know how we are. We just grin and bear it and do what we got to do. Always good to hear from the defensive coordinator. I I, I spend a lot of time on the offensive side of the ball at West, which you, you're now going to be familiar with. But I like uh, I like the defense and the, and the scheming and the planning on that side of the ball. So getting to talk to Coach Wolver is always a lot of fun. And once again, he didn't disappoint, had a lot to say, and answered our, our questions the best he could. Obviously, all four of these guys gave us a lot of coach speak when we started to ask about, you know, toughest opponents right. and, and things like that. We, we even laugh with them. Last year, I think we were a little more nervous about, you know, the questioning and just not knowing what you're going to get from the coaches. Um, they're more familiar with what we're doing now and, you know, we're more familiar with how they're going to answer. We know how they're going to answer some of those questions, but we have to you ask. You got to ask. <laughs> yeah. You got to at least ask because, you know, maybe there'll be something there. You know, we're not looking to put up bulletin board material for other teams, but we want to get as much out of these guys as we can. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, the odds of them saying something and singling out of an opponent, whether it's a single player or an entire school, it's just not going to happen. They're too smart for that. Yeah. No, absolutely. Not. Unfortunate for us, but you know, <laughs> yeah. fortunate for them. So we appreciate everything that the coaches we talked to on this episode brought to the table, and you know, we're very grateful that they sat down with us. We're going to try our best throughout the season to talk to them more. Um, last year, we shied away from that after the preseason. It's just it's tough to get in these guys' faces before and after games uh, when they work so hard. Um, basically an entire year to get there. Right. They have a lot else going on on Friday nights. And, you know, we we just kind of tried to um, give you a look into that, but we didn't want to be in the way too much. And, you know, we'll carry that forward. But um, any chance we have to get some insight or extra insight from the coaches, uh, we'll definitely hope to yeah. take advantage of that this fall. Yeah, so what Justin says is we're going to try to get into the way this year. Um, but uh, anyway, that, That's your department. <laughs> well, I, I stay firmly out of the way. But we were told that you know they were open to it. Um, they said, try not to uh, talk to us, though, after a loss. And we're like, trust us, we don't want to talk no, to you after no. a loss. We're, yeah, yeah we're, we're not stupid. So, no. well, you know, unfortunate thing, despite what you may, think. despite what some of our friends and family may say about us, we're 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 not stupid. We understand. Uh, you know, unfortunately, last year we only did were able to do four shows last year, just with our schedule and the way that the season played out. Um, you know, we did the recorded one, the long two hour, you know, the pilot reboot episode. Then we did three more. Well, after or two of those three were done after losses. So it was kind of, you know, deflating and we were in a different spot. It was, it we was awful. Expected to be. You can say it. It yeah, was awful. It was, it was, it tough was so t- demoralizing. It was really demoralizing. It wasn't what we were expecting to have usually, to do it like that. Because usually how we handle devastating sports losses is we make a joke or two about it and then we don't talk about right. it. Actually, we usually don't talk about it for about a week or two. And then some, one of us makes a joke about it. And that's pretty much it. 
and we had locked into these shows. We had to record, we like, you know, okay. for ninety minutes <laughs> and focusing on uh, on losses. So that wasn't that fun. <laughs> Hopefully, that's a little bit different this year. But with that brutal non-league schedule, when we do our non-league yeah. recap, we're coming off a of Central Dolphin Week, which last year is one of the ones that we had to talk about right. after the loss. So you know, no, no guarantees. That, that that's not on us. That's not our department. That's yeah. right. Yeah, we can only you know we can use the cards that we're dealt. So. Um, it would be nice this year if we're able to do it possibly every other week. We'll see if that fits into the schedule. If we could get, you know, six, six or so episodes up, that would be awesome. Um, but we'll have to, uh, we'll have to see how things go. Um, your support is always appreciated and not, not necessarily in any monetary fashion. Although if you're interested in doing that, you're more than welcome welcome to do it. You can find that information at bulldoghour.com. We take in-kind donations and also are accepting sponsorships. And um, other ways that you can support the show is just spread the word. Yeah, you know, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Sh- share our posts. Or if you have questions or ideas or things you would like insight into, we we kind of base it off of the feedback we do get, and also the things that we think you know maybe uh, the things that you want to hear or want us to talk about. Right. But if there's something specific, like um, you know, especially as we get into. A, um, the one leading up to the season, the one that should come out in, in a little bit um, after this show. Um, or, you know, in, in terms of recap, are there certain things that you want to see? I know we talked about some stats last year or, you know, we got some highlights going. You know, let us know so that we can make this uh, what you wanted yes. as well. Uh, and we did put out a, uh, a Google Doc form that we had a bunch of people fill out just to kind of improve the show and give us suggestions. So we're going to take that to heart and hopefully um, make a, a great bunch of episodes this fall. We are going to be focusing more on highlights. We're going to try to get more interviews with both coaches and players. And uh, hopefully that will start with our next episode. Like Justin mentioned, we already did conduct some interviews with players. We'll have all those on episode two. We'll have an entire full season preview. We'll look at all 10 teams that the Bulldogs will be facing this year. And uh, we'll also hopefully answer maybe some of your questions. Like Justin also mentioned, you can go to bulldoghour.com and go to the contact page and you can find out how you can uh, email us. Uh, there's a form there, and there's also a way that you can leave us a voicemail. You want to be heard on the show, you can uh, ask us a question in that capacity as well. So I think that's everything for this first episode. We hope you enjoyed the coach interviews. If there's anything else that we can do to make Wilson football more enjoyable for you, please reach out to us. Again, like the Facebook page. We're going to be doing live video from you know, we're going to do stuff before the game. We're going to do things during the game, including a lot of red zone opportunities. And we're also going to try to do interviews post game with both coaches and players. And the only way you're going to get those because we're doing them through Facebook live is if you like the Facebook page. So search for Bulldog Hour on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Bulldog Hour and on Instagram as well. We'll be back. We're coming back this year as our Bulldog Hour player of the game. And we put all that information up on our Instagram, including and including the website bulldoghour.com. We want to thank our sponsor coming back from last year, May Sandwich Shop. And again, if you'd like to become a sponsor, you can get uh, you can reach out to us. You can talk to me or Justin, whatever. You know, if there's someone out there that wants to uh, help us out, we're always willing to uh, to listen, and we're really appreciative of everyone that has done that so far. Almost over the last year, you know, we're about a month away from the reboot starting all over again. And uh, 
we look forward to a full slate in season two. Anything else to add from you, Justin? Uh, no, just um, you know, I hope you enjoyed the show, and uh, again, we hope uh, we can bring you lots of positive, exciting news this fall. Yes, we look forward to a nice, successful, and long season from the Bulldog football team. So, for Justin, I'm Joe Mays. This has been the Bulldog Hour. We'll see you again in a few weeks. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Bulldog Hour. Want more Wilson football? Follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Or visit www.bulldoghour.com. The Bulldog Hour is a feature program on jmnjrradio.com.